It is good to be here with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you will open up to the passage that Gary just read in John chapter 20. Uh, If you are a regular with us, you would know that we are, for the past several years, we've been going through the book of Romans. Uh, I think we're four years in, uh, and we will, Lord willing, complete it this year. Uh, We've taken a break during this time, and uh, uh, over the past three weeks, I've wanted to bring some messages out of the book of John. I've got 18 verses to cover this morning, and as we were leaving our prayer this morning with the elders, the elders overheard Gary telling me to go ahead and take off my watch, but that was because later we will be doing a baptism. (laughs) You don't have to worry. We're going to try to uh, uh, be expedient this morning, uh, but, but cover the text. Uh, this is such an important day, such an important uh, text, and I just want to proclaim to you, as already has been proclaimed, the resurrection of Jesus from the grave changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus from the grave raises, changes everything, and we, John read this morning in 1 Corinthians, where it tells us that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, that we would still be in our sins. At the resurrection, Jesus conquered death and gave new life to all who would believe. And I'm so thankful uh, for Jesus' death, His burial, and His resurrection. Um, uh, Young in my seminary life, I accidentally spread some heresy uh, where I was going to church we would have a Easter, uh, a passion uh, play. And I was asked to be Jesus, um, fittingly, right? No, I'm just teasing, not fittingly, very unfittingly. But the, but the climax was that they, would, uh, they had cut holes in the stage, and the climax, you know, of, of when we were on the cross, and they, would, they had a hinge, a wooden thing that went in the floor and a hinge, and they would raise us up. And the only thing that was holding me was not sin or whatever, it was these cheap nails that nothing was behind that year. And so as my legs were crossed and I came up, I fell off the cross. (laughs) The pastor of that church, who was a Pharisee in the play, um, (laughs) uh, was sitting in the back, and and as he was sitting in the back, there was a, 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 a young lady and her teenage daughter And the teenage daughter was saying, Mom, Mom, that's not how it happened. And she said, be quiet, go home and read your Bible. (laughs) Um, So hopefully this morning we're not spreading heresy. But uh, Jesus stayed on the cross (laughs) until he was dead, was put in the grave, and was resurrected. And we come to celebrate this this morning. And this is the climax of the Gospels. This is the central focus of what we read in the New Testament. But yet some people get it wrong. You know, you can look at the same event and you can see the same thing and still get it wrong. Uh, this morning as I was reading about the, uh, the massacre, the terrorist attack in Sri Lanka, uh, on down on CNN's website, it had a, a, an op-ed piece that I clicked on. And let me uh, just quote to you what this uh, op-ed piece says about Easter. Easter teaches Christians this, I believe, to emulate the faith of Jesus in goodness of the universe, to rest in God, 
whatever we mean by that great holy syllable, which seems to be a stumbling block for so many in our highly secular world. It teaches us about what it means to lose ourselves, our petty little selves, in order to gain something larger, reconciliation with creation itself. Christians all walk with Jesus out of the tomb on Easter morning, reborn as free people, released from the straitjacket of, notice not sin, but time itself. And this is nothing but joy. Here we have an author who obviously has seen and read about the resurrection, but in his piece where he writes, I I don't even understand what he's saying. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection changes everything. And this morning, as we look and as we see, what I hope we see is the truth of the gospel. You see, if you've been with us over the past three weeks, one of the things that we've said is we've opened this gospel, this book of John, that John uses these words very often, see and believe. See and believe. In fact, if we were to look in chapter 20, uh, verses 29 through 31, John gives us the point of why he wrote uh, this gospel. In verse 29 it says, Jesus said to him, because you've seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who do not see and yet believed. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Notice this. But these have been written, so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. As we looked in this book, particularly three weeks ago, and we looked at what at that point was the climax of this gospel where Jesus had had gone to Lazarus and called him forth from the dead. He had been dead for four days and this caused a stir. No one was doubting whether or not Lazarus was once dead and then came out of the tomb. But what happened was the people that were there and the people that saw had much different reactions. Do you remember? Some went and fell and went to Mary and they worshipped Jesus. Others, others went to the Pharisees and to the high priests so that they could aid in His being crucified. And the reason for this is that Jesus is not saying and did not say, I am a way. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus did not say that I am only here to set an example of love. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that you must believe in who I am and who I say that I am to have a relationship with God and to live forevermore. So when we see Jesus, do we see a way to be reconciled to God? When we see Jesus, do we see ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior? Do we see that we can't be good enough? We can't earn our way to heaven. Do we see in Jesus that He is the way? Do we see the sacrifice that He made? The whole point of the gospel is that Jesus came and took on our sin and took on our punishment so that we could stand justified before God if we put our faith in Him. 
Do we see in His resurrection the victory over sin and death? And do we see in Jesus that He is who He said He is? God's Son, the Lamb that has come to take away our sins. Now what I want to look at this morning is I want to look at the first three people who saw the resurrection. Now, when I say saw the resurrection, they didn't actually see Jesus come out of the grave, but they were the first three witnesses to the resurrection. So as we look at our text this morning, and this is a fascinating passage, and I'm tempted to linger here over the next couple of weeks, um, but, but we're, we won't. But the first thing, there's, there's three people, and the first one we see is Mary Magdalene. Now, John's going to introduce her and then come back to her. So Mary Magdalene, let's look at verses uh, 1 and 2. And I want to point out a couple of things here. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Now, one of the things that I want you to see is this was a courageous act by Mary. We, we saw earlier, if you've been with us, three weeks ago, we see Mary worshiping at the feet of Jesus and taking the perfume and, and, and anointing His body and taking her hair and wiping His feet. And we see that here Mary, again, is, is, is caught up. She loves this man and she's going to the tomb. She thinks that He's dead. She's going there. And, and I say this is a courageous act because this, in this day and time, it would not have been proper or good for a woman to be going out while it was still dark to the tomb. We know uh, various things from, from records. One of the things that we know is that there were perhaps hundreds of thousands of visitors in the city of Jerusalem. This means that there were people everywhere. The other thing that we know is that robbing graves was very common during this time. Uh, only a few years later... Um, was there a decree sent out that if you were caught robbing a grave, then you would be executed yourself. In fact, when Mary is confronted uh, with the empty tomb, her immediate thought was not, He is risen. Her immediate thought is, someone has taken His body. And so this was a, this was a courageous act. And what she was going to do is to, to further make sure that His body had been totally prepared for His burial. To finish, to finish preparing Him for what He... Uh, to, to be there dead in the grave. So we see her devotion there. And that her assumption was that someone had taken uh, him away. So what she does is, when she sees that the stone had been rolled away, we, we notice in verse 2 that she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now I just want to uh, take, an, I'm not going to go all through this, but this this. This person, the other disciple whom Jesus loved, is John. And if we were to read the rest of the account, we would see this. That John, as he's writing his gospel, when he talks about himself, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so she ran to them and she said to them, They have taken away our Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. Now John pauses here. And we see the other two witnesses of the resurrection. We'll come back to Mary. In a moment, we see the other two witnesses, and this is Peter, and it's John. And their expectation, their expectation is that Jesus was dead and had been in that tomb. And so what we see is when they hear that the stone had been rolled away, notice this, 
So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. I don't think there's any real significance to John telling millions of people, hey, I beat Peter in a foot race. (laughs) A lot of commentators try to read stuff into that. I think John is just laying out as accurately as he can, here's what happened. Here's what happened. And so John, and this is fascinating to me, so so enter John and Peter into this. So so John comes, and he gets there first, uh, because he ran faster than Peter, and then in verse 5, he stoops down and looks in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And what's interesting is if, if this were in the Greek, the original language that it was written, you would see that there's three times in this cluster of verses that the word saw or looked was used. And each time it's a different word, which is fascinating. So what we have is John getting there first, and he kind of glances in. Maybe he's scared. Maybe he's timid. We don't know. But we see John, and, and the word that's used is there in the Greek. I won't bore you with all that, but it's, it's, it's kind of to take a glance at, to look in. So he looks in, and he look what he notices. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Peter in verse 6, and if you know anything about Peter, if you've read any of the Gospels, this fits Peter, and it fits his personality. When Peter gets there, he doesn't stop and ask John what's going on. Peter runs into the tomb. And Peter came in following him, and entered the tomb. And he saw, this is a different word, and it means to, 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 to look around, to, to discover. He saw the linen wrappings lying there. And notice how it's explained. The face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Now, one of the things that John is doing, and we could have a whole sermon on this, is John is laying out the proof that Jesus was raised from the dead, that the body wasn't stolen. If a body was stolen, thieves would not have taken the linen cloths and and left them there. They would have just taken the body. But that's not what happened. They were there. The linen cloths were there, and, and one of them was rolled up. Another thing that I think John is is doing here is that he's he's somewhat comparing the resurrection of our Lord Jesus with when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And if you're familiar with that story, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, what did Jesus have to say when Lazarus came out of the tomb? Somebody unbind him, because he was still wrapped up. And, and so Jesus is point, or John is pointing that this, this rising of Jesus from the dead is greater than what happened with Lazarus. So... Peter rushes in, and this is what he sees. And so the other disciple, John, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and this is another word. And this word where it says he saw and believed, the root word here in Greek is also the root word that we have for knowing. And so this is a much more kind of taking in. And this is, this is just this beautiful picture that John paints for us, that John comes in, and when he saw... He believed. You know, Jesus, 
had over and over again told them that this was going to happen. And so we have these witnesses here. And they rush into the tomb. And they see, they see the remnants of Jesus' resurrection. And it says that they saw and they believed. Verse 9. In, in this trouble some people, but I think it's, it's, it's very clear what's going on here. It says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And what John is telling us here, there was this theme through the book of John. If we were going through the book of John verse by verse, we would recall back where uh, John was saying that Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit coming. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. And what we have here is that John and Peter, you may ask, what in the world do they believe? They believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. What John is telling us here is that they didn't know all the implications of that or how the Old Testament was pointing to that. They didn't understand that yet. They would, but at this point, all they knew is that Jesus had risen from the grave, that he was no longer dead. And this is an interesting ending to the two of them. It says, so the disciples went away again to their own homes. We have no other commentary of, of why they just went away to their own dwelling places. Some surmise that maybe John went because, remember on the cross what Jesus says to John? He says, behold your mother. That maybe John went to his own dwelling place to tell Jesus' mother he's risen from the grave. Some speculate um, maybe Peter went away feeling a little dejected because the last time we saw Peter... He had rejected the Messiah. But we don't know. We don't know. But it has here that what they did is that they went home. Re-enter Mary into this account. So what I think happened is that Mary went out to meet these two disciples. The two disciples, John made it clear, they ran. They were faster than Mary. Uh, plus Mary was thinking that it, you know, the grave had been robbed. And then they went away. And it says, now we jump back in to verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so, as she wept, she stopped and looked into the tomb. Again, this devotion of this woman, Mary, that she's standing outside this tomb weeping. And it says that she stooped and she looked in the tomb. And notice what she saw. She saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? In, in, in the language, this was a kind of a mild rebuke that these angels were saying here to Mary. Mary, why are you weeping? What's interesting is, is the angels knew why she was weeping. And notice... What she says, she says, because they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. And I just love this next section. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Now, why she didn't know it was Jesus, we can only speculate. And I think there's two big options. One is we have other accounts of people encountering Jesus and they didn't know it was Jesus, and, and it could be that because he still bore the marks of his crucifixion, 
It could have been as well like those videos that pull tears out of us that we see when soldiers are coming home um, uh, from deployment overseas and their kids or their wives don't know that they're coming home and it, you see it and it takes them a while before they realize, oh, this is dad. We don't know why. It was also dark. We don't know why Mary didn't recognize him, but it says that she didn't recognize him. And Jesus said to her, and notice Jesus asked two questions, one of the same, woman, why are you weeping? Again, Jesus knows why she was weeping. And then he asked her, whom are you seeking? And again, Jesus knew who she was seeking. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Notice again the devotion and the love this woman had for Jesus. We read this as modern readers and don't see anything too spectacular about this, but this was a woman in the first century in a culture that didn't appreciate women, and notice how bold she is to this gardener, that she says, if you have taken him away, tell me where he is and I'll go get him. She's willing to risk everything for him. Now, we're assuming here, but I think that the angels and Jesus ask her these two questions to get Mary to start thinking and to to get her to start pondering. Notice, notice Jesus says, whom are you seeking? And I think that Jesus wants her to start thinking of, I am seeking the Messiah. And who He had told her that He was. And, but Mary still, in this state of emotion, a state of confusion, doesn't realize it's Jesus talking to her. Until Jesus does this, Jesus said to her, what? This is powerful. He said, Mary. And immediately, immediately, when she heard her Savior, when she heard her Creator, when she heard her Messiah call her name, she knew exactly who it was. Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus says this, My sheep what? My sheep hear my voice. Mary, Mary heard and she knew. And I love her response. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then she clung to him. And Jesus said, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but, I go, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Mary when she recognizes who it was that was speaking to her, grabs him. And Jesus has to say to her, release me. 
Because I think Jesus knew if he hadn't have told her, release me, they might have been there for a while. The character of Mary is such that she may not have ever let him go. So we have these three people. And it's remarkable to me that John gives us this account and that Jesus orchestrates events that these are the people whom we see, who they see first, that Jesus, the resurrection, that Jesus had been raised from the dead. It is very strange and would have made for an awful, awful, very unpopular fairy tale for this account to be written this way. I mentioned earlier, uh, but women were so ill thought of during this time that it would have been crazy if you were going to make up a story and you wanted it to be really popular to have the first person to see the risen Savior of the universe to be a woman. In fact, we have a Gnostic gospel, the Gospel of Thomas, which is not a real gospel. It is, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy if you read it. It's, it's entertaining. But in the Gospel of Thomas, in section 114, verses 1 through 3, listen to this. Simon Peter said to them, Let Mary go away from us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, Look, I will draw her in so as to make her male, so that she too may become a living male spirit similar to you. But I say to you, every woman who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not a very feminist-friendly book, the old Gospel of Thomas is not. And so what is the point here? And I think there are several points. But one is this. Jesus didn't come to save the powerful, the elite, the rich, the people who had their act together, the gifted. Jesus came to save sinners. And I think he orchestrated these events as such to know that salvation, salvation isn't limited, that salvation is open. All who see Jesus for who he says he is and for who this gospel says that he is, all who see, male, female, Greek, Roman, Jew, Gentile, I know I'm redundant there, all Come to me. The other thing, and I I think it's striking here, and and I want to encourage us in two ways this morning, but, but the other thing that I see here is notice what is the common characteristic of these three people that Jesus let's see the resurrection, or or, or let's understand that the resurrection has happened first. It certainly wasn't uh, their personalities. Their personalities were vastly different. And we get this from John's narrative, that these are three very different people. 
It certainly wasn't their background. What is the common themes that run through these three individuals? And I just want to real quickly say this. Remember Mary. The last time that we saw Mary was when she was anointing Jesus. And she was devoted. She was showing her love for Him. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I want to go back to the Last Supper where it says that John was doing what the disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining on the bosom of Jesus. Notice his love and devotion for this man, that he was laying on him. The other thing about John that that John points out and that we see in some of the other Gospels is who was at the cross? Who was at the crucifixion? All the other male disciples had had run away. The, the, The rest of the twelve were gone. But John was there. And Peter. Peter is the one who had earlier in this, in this gospel when Jesus said, are you going to go away too? And Peter says, where else would we go? And Jeter's, Peter's devotion, although his personality is different, Peter's devotion was such that when they came to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? He drew his sword and said, not on my watch. I think one of the points that J.C. Ryle points this out is that those who love Christ most diligently are those who receive most privileges from Christ's hand. And when J.C. Ryle points this out, he's not meaning um, your your best life now or riches or never being sick or never uh, experiencing hardships. In fact, legend tells us that Peter was actually killed upside down on a cross. We know from the Scriptures that John was exiled to an island where that was a very torturous place that was meant for punishment and banishment. So when it says that they get the, receive the most privileges, he later notes, but it is a certain fact that those who love Christ most fervently and cleave to Him most closely will always enjoy most communion with Him and feel most of the witness of the Spirit in their hearts. And so I would just ask you this morning, when you see Jesus, do you see Him as an object of your affection? If you're here and you've placed your trust and your faith in Christ, if you are a believer, then one of the things I would say is that if you're love has grown cold, and and our love often grows cold, I pray that you would open your eyes, open this book, and go to this book to see Jesus afresh and anew. And you may be here this morning, and you may say, Louis, you don't know, (laughs) you don't know how far I've fallen off. And, And I want you to notice Notice how kind the Lord treats His disciples. These men who deserted Him, notice how kind He is. He tells Mary, go and tell them. Go and tell them. How would you react? How would you react if your closest fellows, if your closest group had deserted you in your deepest time of need? And aren't we thankful, brothers and sisters, that our Lord is not like that? 
Are you here this morning? And you feel heavy because you feel like you've betrayed the Lord. Have you wandered away in unbelief? Have you turned away from the Lord of the universe to other things? If you have, what do you think His welcome is to you today? Harsh criticism? Cut it out? Or come to me. Come to me. I love you. Like the Father who welcomes the prodigal. My prayer for us this morning, my prayer for us this morning is that we would see the risen Savior. And you may say, Lewis, I'm not 2,000 years old. I can't see the risen Savior. So I want to jump back to the end. Again, notice in verse 29 of this chapter, Jesus said to him, He's saying, talking to Thomas here. He says, because you've seen me, you've believed. Notice this, and he's talking about us. Blessed are they who did not see me and yet believed. And you may say, well, Lewis, how can we believe if we haven't seen? And then jump down to verse 31. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So what, what our Lord is telling us, what our Bible is telling us here, is that these things have been written so that you may see. And here's my prayer this morning. My prayer this morning is that maybe, just maybe, that is as we through this service have been reciting Scripture, have been singing Scripture, have been preaching Scripture, that maybe this morning you have heard the Lord of the universe say your name. And your eyes have been opened. And you believe. Now, we're going to end our service this morning in in a baptism. That doesn't mean that if that's you, that I want you to come jump in the water. But what I do want you to do is that if this is you and, and you know someone here who you know is a believer, I would ask you to grab them and say, hey, something's happened. Something's happened. Gary and I will be, once we dry off, we'll be back in the back this morning. We would love to talk to you. The other thing that you can do is if that is you, um, mine and Gary and BJ's email is on the back of this bulletin. And feel free to email us and say, I would like to talk with you about what I think is happening or what has happened in my life. Let's pray.